Amen. What a joy to be saved in the house of the Lord this morning. If you're glad you're saved, say amen. amen. And you can be seated. Thank you so much uh, for that warm welcome. This is our first time being in California, and I just thought Atlanta traffic was bad. And so we flew into LAX yesterday and uh, had a great host. Uh, the Ruperts brought us uh, to Lancaster, and uh, it, we've just had a wonderful time already. It's surreal being here. We have followed this ministry, like so many others, for many, many years and have watched at a distance how God's hand has manifested His goodness and grace through this church and this school to other people, other ministries. And so I'm so honored to be here. Dr. Getch, thank you so much for having us. Uh, we were able to eat with Dr. R yesterday and had a great time of fellowship. And I'm just honored to be here today. I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew chapter number 6. And we'll look at a very familiar portion of Scripture today. Realize that uh, we're getting close to the end of the semester, and we pray that we'll be a blessing to you as you get ready to take the exams, head back to your respected homes and states. And we ask that the Lord would speak to all of our hearts today through His Word. I appreciate so much Dr. Chapel, and what an inspiration he has been uh, to our church and to me personally. I appreciate his friendship, his influence, uh, not only here in this great state, but around the nation and the world, and it's an honor to be here today. Matthew chapter number 6, I'd like for us to begin reading today in verse number 25, and we'll read down to verse number 34. The Bible says, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. It is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? And which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toll not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself and then the Lord says, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. This morning I want to speak from these verses on the subject, God's answer for man's anxiety. God's answer for man's anxiety. I think it's important to understand not only what Jesus is saying in this Sermon on the Mount, this great, historic, iconic message, it's also important to understand who he is saying it to. When you look at the beginning of Matthew chapter number 5, the Bible says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them. 
And so everything that he says in this wonderful message, the Sermon on the Mount, is directed to his followers, to his disciples, to true believers. Certainly there's a crowd there. There's a great gathering. There is a large multitude. But Christ is directing the message, not just to the crowd, but specifically to those who claim to be disciples and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. As he begins speaking this wonderful message, he is going to give them some radical things that they have never heard before. Some things that will spiritually turn their world upside down. As we know, he begins this wonderful message with presenting the Beatitudes. He tells them those that will live in the kingdom of God, those who will follow Christ, those who will truly be disciples must live this way. And then he begins to expound and says that you should expect to be poor in spirit. You should expect to mourn. You should expect to be meek and lowly and merciful. You're going to hunger. You're going to thirst. And your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. That was something that was radical in the years of those disciples. He goes on to say that you must live a life of prayer, a life of sacrifice, a life of fasting, a life of almsgiving. You have to give up your treasure on earth. You have to lay up treasure in heaven. He goes on to say, you've got to treat your enemies with great love and affection. You must learn to turn the other cheek. You've got to walk an extra mile. You've got to be willing to give up your clothing if necessary. You cannot retaliate. You can't be angry. You can't lust. Uh, You can't do all these things. You, in summary, must lose your life. You must take up a cross. You must deny yourself. This is the life of the kingdom. This is what it means to follow me. He says, the foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath no place to lay his head. Welcome to the kingdom. Welcome to what it really means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as he is unpacking all of this, reality, I believe, begins settling into their hearts. This is what it means to follow Christ. This is how he's opening up his ministry. This is what uh, we must expect to walk in his steps. And so as they begin to process this iconic message and they begin to take in all of this kingdom truth, they want to follow Christ. They claim to be his disciples, but yet if the truth be known, hearing what he says, there must be some real concerns. There must be some real worries. There must be some true anxieties now that that fill their heart to be able to give up your clothing and to give up your earthly treasures and to take up a cross and to deny yourself and to go an extra mile and not to retaliate and to love your enemies. All of that is settling in. And I believe anxiety begins to visit them in their mind, in their heart, in their soul. I read an article not long ago entitled The Uninvited Guest. And the article detailed how all of us on occasion have an uninvited guest with us. He goes on to name that guest as anxiety. And he appears at different times and stages and phases of life. Perhaps at the dinner table, anxiety makes his appearance perhaps in a class, perhaps from LAX coming to Lancaster. Anxiety has a way to manifest his presence in our life. He's an uninvited guest. 
And so as the disciples are hearing their Lord and Savior pronounce all of these things of the kingdom life, they want to follow Christ. It's the desire of their heart to follow Christ, but the uninvited guest has made his way into their company. We all face it, do we not? On some level, anxiety, as we know, is not just limited to a world that does not know Christ. The statistics are staggering. We know that a secular world faces fear and dread and worries and concerns, but such anxiety is not limited only to those who are unconverted. You and I as well, who name the name of Christ, give our lives to follow Him and want to engage in this kingdom life, even we are subject to such anxieties of this world. And Christ here is going to, uh, he's going to look at those disciples and offer them some answers. God's answers for man's anxieties. And Christ will say, here is how you get rid of the uninvited guest. First of all, today we see this. We see how Christ, number one, addressed their contemplation. Christ, in these verses that I read, addressed their contemplation. Now pay special attention to the language that Christ used. I, I tried to emphasize it this morning. But there is a statement that Christ repeatedly uses in these verses. Take no thought. Take no thought. Look at verse 25, please, where we began reading. Therefore, I say unto you, mark it down, take no thought for your life. Then in verse number 27, he says this. Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature? And then in verse 28, he says this. And why take ye thought for your raiment? Verse 31. Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat or drink or be clothed? And then he concludes this passage in verse 34, take therefore no thought for tomorrow. So you see how Christ repetitively is using this expression about taking thought. Take no thought for your life. Take no thought for your clothing. Take no thought for your raiment. Take no thought, thought for your food. Take no thought whether or not you can add a stature to your height or can you add length of life to your years. Take no thought for tomorrow. So Christ here is addressing their contemplation because he understands that these disciples, as they hear the message, they are thinking about many, many things, many things. And we ought to take heed of that today, how we and what we allow into our thought, into our minds. The disciples now are getting their minds off of the kingdom life and suddenly putting it on this life here below. How can we survive if we do everything Christ says we must do? That's why the scripture is clear in admonishing up to gird up the loins of our minds to be not transformed to this world, to be, to be renewed in the renewing of your mind. How we're to be spiritually minded. Let this mind, Paul said, be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Paul told the church at Corinth that we indeed do have the very mind of Christ. But I wonder, what are we thinking about today? Let me ask you that question personally. What are you thinking about? What's on your mind this morning as we come into Tuesday Chapel? We're like Martha. We're busy about with so many things. We are in the proverbial kitchen and we are cooking and we are cleaning and we are readying our lives for the grand finale of it all. But yet Christ sees beyond those things and he says, Martha, Martha, 
Thou art troubled over many things. You're thinking about many things. You're encumbered about with all these things. What's on your mind today? Is it school? Is it work? Is it going home to a family? Perhaps that's not saved. Is it Thanksgiving? Is it your, your class, your exams? Is it your family life? Is it loneliness? Is it a spouse? Is it where you'll serve in the ministry? Five years from now, 10 years from now, will you be able to pay the tuition? All these things, they crowd our minds. And what is so encouraging about this passage of Scripture is that they did not one time verbalize any of that to Christ. But Christ knew. Christ knew what was in their mind. He knew what was in their heart. They did not have to communicate these things. Not at, not at once did at any juncture did they raise their hands and say, Christ, we have a question about this or we have a question about that. But Christ in His sovereignty, in His omniscience, He knew what was in mankind. And as He is unfolding this great message, He looks upon the crowd even as He does today. And He knows what's in your mind. He knows what is stressing you out. He knows about the uninvited guest that has found a lodging somewhere in your life. And we just all have the propensity to worry about so many things. I read the other day about a man who worried about everything. He worried about everything in his life. Worried about his family. Worried about his marriage. Worried about his children. Worried about his church. Worried about his health. Worried about his retirement. Worried about his job. He worried about everything in life. And uh, he was really driving himself crazy. One day he met a, a friend on the road and the guy's disposition had changed radically. And the friend said, my soul, what has happened to you? He says, it's wonderful. He says, wonderful. He says, I, I've found a man who will do all my worrying for me. He worries now for everything that I used to worry about. I don't worry about anything. The friend said, that's, that's great. He says, what does something like that cost? He says, it's about $1,500 a day. He says, how in the world can you afford such a guy to do that? He says, I don't know. I let him worry about that. <laughs> and you know, that, I think that's the admonition that Christ is addressing. Cast all your cares upon him this morning, for he careth for you. This is God's answer for all of our anxieties. And even in this chapel today, God's addressing that. I can't address it. Dr. Getch can't address it. The faculty can't address those secret places of the heart. But here this morning, number one, Jesus addresses their contemplation. Number two, we find this. He not only addresses their contemplation, but then number two, Jesus offered a consideration. He says, you've been thinking about that. You've been thinking about that. You've been thinking about that. I want you now to think about this. He says, have you considered some things? He says, you've been thinking about your stature and you've been thinking about your food and you've been thinking about your clothing. And you've been thinking about tomorrow. He says, but have you considered this? And then he offers them two very wonderful sermon illustrations. First of all, the fowls of the air and then second of all, the flowers in the field. He says, behold, in verse number 26, look at it, please. Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap or gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Have you considered these things? Jesus addresses their contemplation. Now he offers a consideration. Behold, or to stop and to analyze, put under the proverbial microscope and look at this perspective. Look at it from a divinely sanctioned perspective. 
And he says, look at the fowls, look at the birds in the air. And as most of you know, Palestine was filled with all kind of birds, all kind of birds. It's one of the most heavily populated regions in the world for bird migration. Most of you know that. They say that 530 different species throughout the year will migrate through Israel, through Palestine, because of its situation between Africa and Europe and Asia. They say 200 types and species of birds will nest there annually. Over 285 species will migrate through there at some time throughout the year. So in any particular season, there are all kinds of birds there in Palestine. Birds of prey, and ducks and finches and doves and robins and owls and ravens and storks and cranes and woodpeckers and hummingbirds and eagles and ostriches and all these types of birds. And so Christ, I can just envision that, can't you? As he's preaching about the kingdom, looks at his disciples, he understands what's in their heart and the anxiety, the uninvited guests that showed up on the mountaintop. And he says, now I want you to consider this. Perhaps a flock of birds are flying out or somewhere in a tree and they get a sermon illustration on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, look at those birds. Consider them. He says, don't you know this? They're not toiling. They're not sweating. They're not frantically anxious about survival. You are, but they're not. They're not convening together somewhere, wondering where the next meal is going to come from. And then Christ gives them this wonderful, wonderful consolation. He says, don't you know this, that your heavenly Father feeds them and takes care of them? I like that. He didn't say their heavenly Father. He says your heavenly Father. He says your heavenly Father feeds the birds. Why do you say their heavenly Father? Because... He is not their father. He is their creator. He is their designer. He's even their sustainer. But he is not their father. Christ is putting things in perspective here. If God, who is your father, takes care of the lowly birds of the air, how much more, beloved, will he take care of of you? And He will take care of you and He will sustain you and He will provide for you. Have you considered this lately? Have you considered that this week or in this day? I remember Dr. Getch when COVID hit in those initial days as so many pastors were trying to make sense and all we had at that time was the information that people were channeling us and we wanted to make rational decisions and we wanted to lead with the health of our individuals in mind. And so our church, we shut down and went online for about five or six weeks. We came in rather quickly thereafter. But I remember those initial days as a leader trying to process things. I remember the first man in our church who died from COVID. He was a core member of our church, sang the choir, taught Sunday school and all those things. Reality struck in that this thing was real. And I remember getting sick myself. I remember phone call after phone call, people telling me they had this and this. And I began thinking about things. How will this affect our finances at church? And how will this affect our morale? We had just built a new sanctuary and only been in it about eight months. I remember thinking about my own health. I remember thinking about my children and our various ministries of the church. 
And I'll just confess to you, there was a part of me as a disciple and a believer and one who tries to strive to follow Christ. There was a part of me in those moments that began to give thought to these things. And I remember going to my office in this big building all by myself, no one there but me, the staff was at home with all these complexities of ministry now on my desk thinking, how in the world will I navigate this? hearing a scratch at my window right behind me. And it was raining that particular day. And I looked out the window and over the course, I guess, of the last few weeks that I had not been there, there was a little burst in the crevice of that window who had built a nest. There had hatched her little babies. And it was raining that day. And all of a sudden, my mind and heart drew to this particular passage of Scripture where the Lord says, will I not take care of you as well? And suddenly in the midst of COVID and sickness and a health crisis and a pandemic, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit of God began speaking to my heart. Beloved, your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. Will He not take care of you? This morning, consider this. Consider that He will and that He shall and that He has and that He does. And then Christ says, Behold, not only the fowls of the air, but hold the flowers in the field. Look at those lilies, all those wildflowers that must have been in bloom at this time with their radiant colors of pink and orange and yellow and blue, how they must have shined upon that valley as they looked down from that sermon. Oh, not only look at those birds, but look at those flowers and the glorious apparel that they have. Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed like one of these. The queen of Sheba said, only the half had been told to me when she saw Solomon arrayed in such fine clothing. But he says, oh, the lily of the fields. They're like the birds. They don't toll. They don't spin. They don't convene, wondering whether or not they're going to get through finals. But their heavenly father dresses them and clothes them. And they may not even be here tomorrow, but... God provides for them in this day. Reminds me of that wonderful song. We have a heavenly father above with eyes full of mercy and a heart full of love. He really cares when your head is bowed low. So consider the lilies and then you will know. Spurgeon said, he who created the stars and calls them all by name, will he not take care of you? Have you considered that lately? So Jesus addresses their contemplation. Jesus offered a consideration. And then finally today, Jesus gave a clarification. He gave a clarification. After he goes through all of this meandering about all the worries and anxieties of their hearts, he really gets down to the heart of the matter, to the, the real pressing issue of their lives. And he says in verse number 33, as we all know, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Love that. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. In this clarification, the Lord challenged them with this pursuit. He challenged them, seek ye to pursue after, to follow hard the course thereof, and so he's really getting down to the heart of the matter, asking the question, what is truly the intention of your life? What are you truly seeking? What are you longing for in ministry? 
What are you really going after? Because the kingdom life is not about obtaining all these things in this world. Because the, the reality is the disciples were only seeking to survive. These things that were pressing in their heart were just matters of survival. Will I get through tomorrow? What will I wear? What am I going to eat? How will I add this to my life? How will I make it through the day or how will I get through the season? Those are all complexities of just surviving in this life. But Christ says, we as true disciples who follow after the king and his kingdom, our intention must go beyond this life. Our pursuit and our desire must transcend these earthly things. And we must set our affection on things above, beloved. So Christ says, this is the heart of the matter. Seek ye first. Well, what a key word that is in that admonition. Seek ye first. And that implies that if we must seek ye first the kingdom of God, that it could possibly be there are secondary things in the primary position of our life. Are there secondary things in that primary spot? Or we could say it this way. Are there idols in our heart that crowd up our affection for truly serving Christ and pursuing his kingdom? Are there idols of the heart? Is the kingdom of God primary? Because that will be what it takes to follow me, Christ says. It will be taking up a cross and denying yourself. Do you see now, as the disciples are hearing this, Christ is saying, get your mind off of things below. The kingdom of God now is within you. Follow me and I will show you a better way. So he not only challenges them with this pursuit, then he comforts them with this promise. He's clearing things up. Well, if we do this, if we seek first the kingdom of God, then we'll lose out, right? We'll lose out and all the anxieties of the heart They'll come to fruition and they'll come to pass and it'll be like the uninvited guest chokes us out. The Christ says, no, no, you hear with ears of the heart. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And here's the promise. And, and, and then get it. All of these things shall be added unto you. All these secondary things will be included when the primary thing is in its rightful place. The clothing, the food, the adding of the stature, the taking care of the things of tomorrow. All of those things have a way of falling in line and Christ clears things up. Today, I, I believe the Lord would probably have all of us in this auditorium look at the uninvited guest and say, by the word of God this morning, you're dismissed. You're dismissed. 
I don't don't need you wandering around in my mind or in my heart or in my soul. Jesus today has addressed my contemplation and Jesus has offered me a consideration. And by the very word of God, now he gives me a clarification. So I'll pursue him and I will pursue his righteousness and I will pursue his kingdom. And I have and hold the promise in all of these things. Then Christ adds the rest.